Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody's favorite cinema podcast, Looking California and Feeling Minnesota. My name is Michael McCaffrey. I'm the Looking California portion of the program. I am a writer and uh, acting coach and dancer and singer and just all around wonderful man. And I'm from Los Angeles, although I don't live there at the moment, but I was from there. And I am joined by everyone's favorite Minnesotan. He's even more popular than Prince, than Governor Jesse Ventura, than the Minnesota Vikings. Who are you and what do you do? Well, as one of our uh, most fervent fans recently called out, I'm barely a B-list uh, talent director here from Minnesota. So, you know, got to take pride that you're climbing the ladder. I've moved oh. off of the C level and I've made it up to B level and, uh, you know, I'm okay with that. I mean, we, uh, let's be honest with our, our listeners right now. Barry and I are, are drinking some champagne at the moment. We're a little, <laughs> a little giggly because we are officially in the B list, which yes. we had no idea about, but we, we figured it out. Look, we're not Spielberg and Roger Ebert, but we are on the B list. Yes. And we're so excited to be there because the last time I checked, I was not even uh in in the upper half of the alphabet and now, now <laughs> you skyrocketed the list yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a, quite an incredible leap uh for me so you know it's great um we're here to talk about some movies because that's what we do barry and i barry's uh uh filmmaker and uh an all-around good guy he lives in minneapolis st paul region and uh he's sort of like both coen brothers combined He's just one. So if, if, yeah, if you take the brothers... worst half of each of them and combine them, that, that apparently <laughs> right. would be very, <laughs> but he keeps it real. As far as being from Minneapolis, he does dress almost identically to Prince from uh, the purple rain era. Yeah. Just so don't ask me to turn cool. around on camera. Oh, uh, nobody wants to see no, that. Yeah. No. Um, so we're going to talk about a big, big movie. This is a big movie. It's a Marvel movie. Everybody loves Marvel. And we're going to talk about Eternals. Now, Eternals, oh, how do I describe this movie? It's uh, based on a Jack Kirby run of comics from the 1970s, I think. And it's about the Eternals are sort of like um, these super beings that are sent to Earth to protect humanity from um, these evil beings called the Deviants, which, you know, is sort of hysterical that Hollywood's making a movie that fights against deviants. Um, the movie is directed by Chloe Zhao, who, if you'll remember, last year won the Best Director uh, Oscar and uh, for Nomadland. Uh, she directed it. She also wrote it with uh, a couple other people. And the movie stars Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, Kamal Nujandi, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, Barry Keegan, uh, Kit Harrington, Salma Hayek, and Angelina Jolie, who I could not remember the last time I saw her in a movie. So there it is. Film has she, a budget. She of was two. in a recent Netflix movie as a firefighter. Um, oh, that's oddly right. enough. That's so right. yes, that, that was the most recent I remember seeing her. I forgot about that. Uh, the bud mo movie has a budget of two hundred million dollars, and uh, it has allegedly brought in about two hundred eighty million dollars, which, if you do the Hollywood math on that, is not good. Um, although it's won the last couple of weeks. So it's just, they've been down weeks. Um, the film is 
the first is it the, it's not the first one but it's it's this is like the next step in marvel yeah, i think it's i think it bridges between phase four and phase five but because it's such a, a sprawling timeline in the movie i think they're just calling it a transition movie into the next phase so i'm not sure it yeah, actually lands. they're saying it's it's officially phase four okay um and kevin feige who is sort of the mastermind of marvel uh, their cinematic universe. He has said this movie is basically the new blueprint for how they're going to tell stories and what's going to come next in the MCU. Um, so that's where we are. The the movie I sort of described the the plot. Um, sort of. That's kind of what happens. There's sort of there's the the Eternals are a collection of. Uh, I want to get their names right here. Let's see. The Eternals. So Gemma Chan is Cersei. Richard Madden is Icarus. Kamal Ninjani is Kingo. Uh, Liam McHugh is Sprite. Brian Tyree Henry is Fastos. Lauren Ridloff is Makari. Barry Keegan is Druig. Don Lee is Gilgamesh. Uh, let's see. Sama Hayek is Ajak. And Angelina Jolie is Thena. So there are 10 Eternals. And... Uh, they sort of have, you know, relationships between them. It's sort of like a big family. It's sort of like Avengers Light. Um, is, that's the idea. Uh, so Barry Anderson from Minneapolis, you are not Steven Spielberg, but you are a B-list movie maker from the heart of America. What did you think of Eternals? So... How would I state this best? I, I'm i one that enjoys science fiction, whether it be something like. Uh, um, what's the zombie show on uh, AMC? The Walking, Walking Dead. Dead, where, you know, or some of the old classic 50s sci fi movies where they inject either political or social or moral dilemmas and you wrestle with them. I, I love when you can do that in an entertaining way and take people who are kind of in for popcorn film and inject a little bit of, you know, wisdom or thought into a movie. So this movie in theory, since everybody's eternal and can't be killed, but then they can be killed, which then begs the question, are you eternal if you die? But we'll, we'll skip that for a moment and go into, these are big philosophy, philosophy and moral debates. And it felt like a junior high philosophical moral debate. I felt like there was not a whole lot of action or anything that like mattered. And when things did matter, like it's the crux of almost all these big movies, you know, what, what can kill someone? What is a danger? What's the consequences if something happens? Um, you know, they had an impressive cast, but the biggest cast members were the smallest players in the movie. And I think some of the, what I would consider the lead actors were lacking any sort of like charisma i mean marvel did a great job kind of plucking you know people like chris helmsworth and stuff like that that nobody had ever heard of put him in the movie and they had enough even if they're not the greatest actor ever they had kind of the it factor in the star quality to carry a film and they struck out each and every time on the new faces in this movie and so it was a movie with a lot of talking and that's about it. Like I, I was underwhelmed uh, with 
you know, I, I think, I think right after I saw the movie, I, I mentioned it would be a really hard movie to make from the standpoint is it's very complex. There's a lot of characters and you're setting up all the stuff that needs to be told because nobody knows anything about it. So it's, it's not like an Iron Man where you didn't know anything about Iron Man, but you could kind of show one person's journey. How do you show thousands of years of across all these different things, these people and have you not have to have just nothing but talk, 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 talk. It's, it's almost impossible to show all of that. So my only kind of pass I give is the fact that I'm more curious what they'll do moving forward because it's possible that they needed kind of to stub their toe a little bit just to get it all out on the table. And now they can do something with it. The argument against that is who they cast <laughs> doesn't make it very compelling to go back for round two. Oh boy. Um, I'm going to try and talk about this movie without swearing. <laughs> um. <laughs> and no been, promises. It's been great talking to you. Um, <laughs> enjoy the movie. What, what was your recommendation for everybody? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, I actually went and saw Eternals in the theaters, which, you know, is it's still not something that I do completely frequently, but number one, I have to say the theater I saw it in is, you know, just a sort of cineplex uh, sort of thing. The movie looked atrocious to me. I was stunned at how one poor the screen was, how poor the, <laughs> the uh, projector was and how poor this movie was shot. But this movie's got a, a lot of problems and so part of the problem is that like say with these of the avenger movies marvel spent and sunk a lot of time and energy and so did audience members in going to see uh iron man thor uh captain america they all had solo movies yeah correct and so you got to know them and then even in those then they could introduce in the avengers movies other superheroes because you had the foundation of Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, right? So you could add stuff in. Plus, people already knew they know the Hulk, right? Yeah. Like, yep. the, they know that. So, like, they know these characters. And so it makes making Avengers easier because the, the audience is already speaking that language. They understand it. Eternals is trying to do the same thing, but they're trying to cram all of the backstory of 10 different superheroes into one movie and then also be telling the story of that movie as it's doing so. And so you're jumping around in time thousands of years and trying to build relationships between different superheroes and, oh, this happened and that happened. And it's just, it's, it's just brutal. It, it is so, this movie is two hours, 37 minutes long. And boy, it feels, it feels like eternal. Six. It feels yeah, it, it's it's brutal. And the story it's telling is not very interesting. It's too complicated. It's too sprawling that they can't just focus on one thing. You know, you think perfect example is that first Iron Man movie. Um, it's just telling the story of Iron Man. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't even get into all the stuff you learn later about his past and his parents and all this sort of stuff just focuses on that. 
Now this movie is all over the map. And I remember when we did Nomadland last year, both of us talking about Chloe Zhao and we both, I think both of us said, oh, it'll be interesting to see what she can do with Eternals because it seemed so bizarre for a filmmaker who, you know, let's, let's be honest about who she is. She's a fine filmmaker. She's not a great filmmaker. You could well, argue. I, I, I would say potentially yet. I mean, she's still. Yet, still exactly. Career. Like it's not, she is not plateaued as to her talent level by any stretch. Right. And Nomadland, it, it's a fine movie. It's not a great movie. It's, you know, it, you, you're not talking, you won Best Picture, I think, but it, you, you're not talking about like some iconic movie that will stay with you forever. It, it, it's a decent movie. And Chloe Zhao is, is a decent filmmaker at that scale. It's a very small, intimate, independent film sort of approach. Eternals is a whole nother monster, man. And, but, and as we know... Not. If you watch the movie, I could probably do a side-by-side -side with shots from Nomadland into Eternals. And you'd be like, whoa. <laughs> like these long camera shots of people thinking looking off in the distance i was like wow the, 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 oh i agree i'm, I'm saying, I'm saying the, the type of yeah film, no no I, Eternals, I agree like this massive scale it's it's a whole different animal and that's not to say it's better or it's worse it's just it's a different skill set yeah that you need to have and there are very few people who can do that size picture which which by the way just in terms of storytelling it, it's a different animal just in terms of sort of what you have to shoot for is a different animal, but also everything that comes with it. So you, you would understand this shooting a small film like Nomadland, where it's basically you and one actress driving in a van around the Western part of the United States and setting up and shooting and sort of that intimate creative process, very different when all of a sudden, Marvel and Disney are your bosses and you have how many producers on set, how many suits on set, everybody's in your ear and you're just trying to get through the day and just not lose your mind, different ball game. And, you know, I've heard different things about this shoot. I've heard, you know, Disney and Marvel are saying, oh no, it went perfectly well. I've heard from people who, were somewhat close to it who were like this was a nightmare and you know feige was on set and like there were problems and it was just like chloe zhao had just won an academy award and probably felt like hey i can do my thing and then marvel and disney are like um <laughs> uh -uh. that's not that's, how it works i mean marvel and, and disney has shown time and time again that even once you've proven yourself as a huge money maker they still in your business like yeah. they, they do not just say here go out and play they and it's true and and so this movie is it's really incredible to me how poorly made it is that's the shocking thing to me so you have these action sequences which are so ridiculously amateurish in their uh choreography every single fight scene every single one by the way i'm not this is not an exaggeration 
there's a sequence where the, a monster or something terrible is coming and it's about to get someone and then flying from off screen comes a superhero to knock the person out of the way of the deviant or whatever it is. Every single fight sequence has that. And that's just insane that you jam that. That's your move. That's your go-to move as a filmmaker. It's like, hey, this is what we'll do. They're just about to get it. And then boom, they're gone. And it's just brutal to watch. The character development is abysmal. The performances, I mean, Angelina Jolie, she it's 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 like she's sleepwalking through this movie and she is just this stunningly beautiful woman she looks ridiculous in this movie everything about it is just atrocious it, it's just an atrocious movie and it makes i finished and i was like man i don't know what chloe Zhao is going to do next and, but she better go back to her comfort zone because this is not it this is not for her and well, I, I'm, I, I'm curious I don't know if it's true or not but I think she was set to direct a Star Wars movie and I think they've taken that away from her now because I think Feige well, I, is over in the I, Star Wars universe and I think it was going to take right. her. I don't think that that relationship <laughs> survived this I hadn't heard the Star Wars thing but I did hear she was she wanted to do Eternals too, and I'm just like I, I just think they're going to <laughs> they're gonna say no thank you moving on think, but of course I, the other problem for disney is that the big thing with chloe Zhao is that she's a, a woman she's a you know a asian woman and they want to promote that uh that that's corporate wise they want to do that and then that's sort of their their approach is they they definitely want more women directing these films and more minority women in particular and so that's why it's so shocking to me that either Disney was too involved in this movie or not involved enough in this movie, but it, it's a mess. It's an utter, utter mess. And it's shocking because Marvel movies, uh, 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 neither of us are the hugest fan of Marvel movies, but we admit that they're very good at what they do. Oh, I mean, they run a tight, competent ship over there. I mean, the right. misses are almost non-existent. Like they, they have their ups and downs. Some are better than others, but they rarely just like whiff. And competence is the word. They're just very competent in what they do. Now, what they do, you can be like, oh, it's a little bit bombastic. It's a little uh, visually uninteresting, but they do what they do. But this movie is utterly incompetent and just shocking when you compare it to the fact, I mean, the, the genius of Kevin Feige culminating in Endgame to be able to pull that off and do it and, you know, make a trillion dollars or whatever it is. And then you see this and it's just, it, it feels just like, a, it's, it's, it's worse than The Incredible Hulk with Ed Norton. Think about that. That's, that's saying something. <laughs> Unbelievable just it, it, and it does it talks a lot yet it says nothing and it feels like Chloe Zhao is just overwhelmed and sort of creatively bankrupt she doesn't know how or she wasn't allowed to um really do anything with this sort of second or third rate story um and so it's just I, I couldn't believe how long and boring this movie was couldn't believe it I, I think you made an astute point 
that it's interesting and i understand why they didn't do it because i don't think any of the individual stories of the eternals is nearly as compelling as a captain america or a thor or iron man or spider-man but i think if you wanted to launch something like this you did need to have multiple movies leading up because if they would have just instead of iron man and the whatever however many movies before they got to the avengers if they would have just started with the avengers you would have been like oh i remember the hulk as a kid oh i remember so and so but like you would have just been like overwhelmed and then forgotten and you know where do you go next now you go and you start to tell the people about their past getting to the point of where you were in the avengers you just move on and just continue the story but you have none of the idea of the back you know backstory so i think they box themselves in that they need this property the eternals to exist to be able to keep expanding but it's not it's you know they always say the weakest link in the chain this is a weak link in their broader chain and i i remember i i didn't grow up you know consuming every level of comic books you know i knew the superheroes and i was a fan but I, i didn't go very deep and one of my friends that's a huge comic book guy said that you know marvel's been around you know for how many decades and the stories that they told kind of in the first couple phases, that is the pinnacle of all stories told through all properties through all of Marvel. So they, they cherry picked all the good stuff. Now by their nature, they yeah. have to go to lesser properties because if you're going to try to build a studio, use your best stuff first. <laughs> now it almost requires more depth as a director and more cunning. As, I mean, the thing is, they were able to cast consistently good, compelling people that weren't movie stars. Like, you yeah. know, they didn't just come out and just, you know, cherry pick, oh, we'll go get Tom Cruise. Oh, we'll go get Angelina Jolie. Oh, we'll go get so-and-so. You know, they've found people. They don't have to be like complete unknowns, but they found and put the right people for the most part in these properties. How they failed so miserably on this one, especially if these characters are supposed to lead you in storytelling in future there's not a single character in this movie i would be like oh i want to go see what they do next and i'm going to pay you right. money to see that and that's a disaster if this is kind of a hub you need to care at least about one or two of these people even if you hate them and you want to you know it's like loki like you need someone to hate yeah. someone to love something and i don't i literally as great filmmakers always said you know dullness or boredom is the only sin in movie making and this was dull and it was boring and you don't care. And when you don't care, that does not lead you to want to see or cheer against or anything. There's just, it's apathy is what you're left with coming out of this movie. I mean, it, it really is. And part of the apathy, you're right. And, and we've talked about this before, um, that a superhero movie in many instances, not all of them, but many, is only as good as its villain. And the villains in this movie are these deviants, which are these sort of uh, dinosaur, giant wolf, skinless creatures that have no personality whatsoever. There's nothing interesting. And and the CGI with them isn't very good, by the way. CGI in, in this movie is not impressive. And so these villains are just, again, just rather dull and cookie cutter. And so there's no balance to the story. And then you're dealing with 
and this is this is where Marvel's going to run into problems. I think is that they're going off planet, and so yeah, when when these these heroes aren't just aliens, but they're for lack of a better term, gods, that's going to be a problem because it's more difficult for people to relate to them. It's not impossible. So you think about Thor. Thor is this flawed god. Um, but Chris Hemsworth is very good in that role. And those, you know, those movies suffered when they first came out. They were not terrific until Ragnarok. Um, but I think that's part of the problem is that you're dealing with, you know, uh, Spider-Man and, and Iron Man and Hulk and Captain America are set in the quote unquote real world. You know, yeah. so they're on Earth and like well, we can be like, oh, this is what's happening. It's we understand it. But the, the lack of a villain and the lack of compelling superheroes, I mean, that's like <laughs> there's nothing there. And so you just don't care. And that that's what makes this movie just such a slog is that you're just waiting to have even the most remote, interesting thing and to care about anything. And it's just but, it yeah. never happens. I'm going to ask you a couple questions and I'm going to kind of piggyback off what you said, but explain why it doesn't have to be a problem, but why it is a problem. But let me ask you this first. Can you name a single character in this movie? No, that's why I had to go back and look. No, no, but think about that. Yeah. Ten, 10 superheroes from a major Marvel thing that you spent two and a half hours with and someone out there, I can hear them now. Icarus, I'm like, yeah, you just knew Icarus from like junior high, like English lit. <laughs> You didn't remember right. Icarus because of this movie. It was yeah. it, it had nothing to do with this. So they literally established zero characters. Yeah. Zero. I mean, that's bad. No. That, I mean, that's a fail right there. Straight out of the gate, you, you don't have anybody to build off of. Because especially as a filmmaker, you should know going in, nobody knows these characters. I have to figure out a way. Like, again, Iron Man. When Iron Man first came out, I'd never read an Iron Man comic book. I didn't know who he was. Right. I didn't know his yeah. backstory. I'm like, who's Iron Man? Why in the world is Marvel leading with Iron Man? And you go in and you learn who Iron Man was. You came out and you're like, ooh, that's a cool character. You needed at least something like that for one of these people. Even if you have to introduce yeah. 10, pick one or two and be like, hey, this is the ship we're attaching to. And we're going we're gonna to ride this one and make sure that if we test afterwards, they're going to remember the name. They're going to remember the actor. They're going to remember something about the story, some sort of stake. And they did none of that. Going back to what you said about the, the bad guy is there's plenty of templates. You have Jurassic Park, you have Jaws. I mean, go to any B horror movie where you have, you know, El Chucacabra in Mexico, you know, some mythical creature, right. Bigfoot. There are ways to be scary from a creature, you know, even something more modern like Predator you know, or aliens, you know, you have some creature that you set up and you learn a little bit about them. But the question is with the, the deviants, what did you learn about them? Do they have acid for blood? Do they hunt only right. at night? If you're out of the water, can they get like, there's nothing. They're just like at any time they can appear anywhere and destroy you unless it's not time for you to go in that scene. In which case we'll just wait to a later scene. Like there's no, as an audience member, you can't know, are they in peril or not? And is there a way to defend yourself or not? Or have we set up that it seems like there is no way, but only unless there's a miracle and until the hero solves some problem, it seems unsolvable. No, none of that was in there. So you didn't have to have bad characters. 
you just chose not to set up any rules or any, you know, I mean, think about a Jurassic Park. You know, you would have thought that T-Rex would have been like, you know, as a kid, that's all we obsessed about is T-Rex. I'd never heard of a Velociraptor, but boy, right, oh boy, yeah. once they set up those characters, everyone's like, oh man, those things, yeah. they hunt, they come here and they can open doors. And yeah. suddenly like they took a level of a, like a premium, you know, like just basically a dumb animal out there and you give them a little bit of human traits and a little bit of like, you know, brains. And suddenly it's more terrifying than just a big brooding T-Rex. Well, they could have right. chose any of these things to give a parameter to the deviants, but they didn't. And then when it comes to relaying it back to earth, I don't care where it's set. All I need is rules. What are the rules? Like yeah. if these people are eternals, they can't die. Why did, why did what's her face die? And if it was so easy to kill her, why can't they kill all of them? Like, I, like it's just, you know, it's kind of like I, I, part of my least favorite parts about Marvel movies is we have like Thor and uh, the Hulk hitting each other. Cause it's like, Ooh, it's a right. big fight. And you're like, well, is it a fight? Cause I feel like neither of them, it's just going to, they're going to pound each other. And then eventually they're going to stop. Like, it's funny when then you pound on uh, Loki because he's annoying and you want to pound him and you know that he's going to be okay, but it's still funny because it's almost like picking on your younger brother. So you're, you're injecting human emotions or human dynamics to these otherworldly gods that can't be hurt. But that was the scene is never about, oh, I'm going to kill Loki now. It's about, no, I'm just going to make him feel uncomfortable for a bit. But, you know, I know ultimately I'm not going to do damage. And I think off world, you need to know how can these people die? What are their powers? What's restrictive? What happens if they get in this situation? Or if it's like Superman where everything is on the table, then give him the moral dilemma. Should he step in? Can he step in? If he steps in, is there another God that has given some edict they're going to come and then that's going to create another problem that only you know about? Like set up something where like when they make a decision or don't make a decision, the audience can go like, ooh, that's a good decision or like, ooh, that's a bad decision. But this one, we just sit back and we're just like, I'll just watch it. And at the end, I'll tell you if I was kind of bored or just not really that bored. I mean, and that's really, that's all you're allowing the audience to do. It'd be like, it'd be like saying, Hey, we want to watch a NASCAR race. But we're not going to give you a video feed. We'll just tell you how it ends. And we'll let you right. listen to some noises. And you're like, well, I don't have any, I'm not vested. I don't know <laughs> who's leading, who's winning. Did they overcome something? Was there a crash? Like, I, I don't see any of that. You just literally get told and you're like, Oh, well, that's nice. You know, the good guys won, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and then, so obviously the, this film is struggling. Um, you know, it, it has made money. It's sort of baked into the cake with Marvel that it's going to make money, but it's not even broken even yet. Um, and so it, it's curious to see what they'll do going forward. But let's talk about the cast and there's a bunch of stuff we can talk about, but let's just start about Gemma Chan plays Cersei. And Cersei is sort of de facto the lead of the movie. Now, Gemma Chan seems to be like a pleasant person. She can't carry a movie. Um, just doesn't have it. Richard Madden plays Icarus. Uh, I actually like Richard Madden. And I thought he was the best one in the movie, maybe because Icarus is the most interesting superhero because he's sort of like Superman. Um, but it, it, it doesn't, it, it, it's sort of like the tallest midget idea, you know, in this case. Kamal Ninjani plays Kingo and he's sort of the comic relief and stuff. And he does his thing, but like, 
again, his superpower is like shooting stuff out of his fingers. And it's what, what are we doing? You know, and even his funny stuff. It's so forced. It's not well, that natural banter, you know, I don't think it's that it's not forced. I think it's his shtick. And I, I, I appreciate the humor because it was otherwise so dull and awful. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that you needed it to be. But I think the I think the the tone again, there was no direction. There was no tone to the film. Yeah. So it was kind of like in any given scene, this could be serious. This could be funny. This could be lighthearted. This could be that. And your audience is like, oh, OK, this is what I'm supposed to be in this scene. Then you pivot. You're like laughing. And then like you pivot to another scene like, oh, now it's awkward. I'm laughing. I got to I got to stop that and go back to being serious now. And then Kamal come back on and say something funny. You're like, wait, can we laugh again? Oh, OK. It's funny now. It's a funny movie again. And so it's just it's like a very bizarre. It's like it's almost like you're at a party and you're looking around to be like, are we supposed to be dressed up in costume? Because I feel awkward the way I'm dressed. You know, okay, no, this is. And then you walk in the next room, like, oh, nope, I definitely am not dressed properly for this movie. So you never settle in like you have a place in the film as an audience member. And I think that's the 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 crushing blow because you just don't know what you're supposed to be doing during this movie, other than yeah. hoping that you're not bored, but knowing you are bored. Right. And then you know you get into the stuff. Uh, <sighs> I, so the other problem with this movie is that it feels like Marvel's making that shift and they're, they're sort of pushing out front their, um, you know, their sort of cultural politics, which this is just part of movie making now. It's part of storytelling and, and I understand that. Um, so there's a gay character, a gay superhero in it. Um, there's a a disabled superhero in it. Uh, the character Makari is, is deaf. Um, it's, and you know, they did make changes to the, the characters from the comic and they changed them up. So Selma Hayek plays Ajak, which, uh, you know, in the, in the comic is, is this sort of very brawny uh, big guy. And now is a middle-aged woman. Um, which you know whatever but uh makari being deaf is strange because it it just it doesn't it doesn't make any sort of sense in the in the world of comics like if you're a superhero you're a superhero like you can have limitations but it's never explained why she is deaf and and what it feels to me and again this is this could be wrong. Uh, I don't think it is, but it could be. It feels like with the gay character Fastos and the deaf character Makari, that that's just Marvel wanting to put that stuff out there. Um, because obviously in the, in the comics, those characters are not deaf, nor are they gay. Um, but it's just, it felt distracting to me. Now, as I, I, I did a video review of this, and I said, listen, I, I don't care if, if a superhero is black or white or gay or straight or whatever. It, and I really don't. What I care about is if it's compelling and if any changes you make to a character either enhance the story or they distract from the story. And I feel like those changes distracted from the story because it felt so contrived and so manufactured and so sort of like, look at how wonderful we are that we're doing this as opposed to be like, 
just make a goddamn movie about fastos right just just do, do an origin story of this guy i don't care if he's gay just make it make sense <laughs> this makes no sense nor does the deaf character i'm just like i don't understand why is there a disabled superhero why like that doesn't make sense in the world that the movie is set it doesn't make any sense and it's it frustrates the hell out of me because it's just like, you know, we're less interested in making a really interesting movie with, with compelling characters than we are in sort of, uh, you, you know, putting out there our, our corporate um, whatever virtue or something like that. It's just weird. It, it, it felt so gross to me and not because, I, you know, like I said, I could care less if a character's gay or not. It just felt super exploitative. I don't know. That that was my take on it. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think you're wrong. I think if you're going to take, if you're going to shift from the original kind of canon of what the characters were in the comic books, I think you have to take time to develop, you know, the new, you know, if the character's gay yeah. or disabled or whatever. And I think in this movie, as we kind of let off with, is there's too much going on the scale is too grand and you get no time so the moments where we get to spend with them it's almost like in order to show you that they're disabled or gay you have to have the moment be about that and so it it seems it seems less genuine because it needs to be like you know okay be funny here's a joke you're on you know and right. it, it never works well the joke needs to sneak up on you you know the characters need to sneak up on you. You need to be comfortable with them. It can't just be like here, here, here. And I remember, so I remember it, it likens back to, I don't know if it was the nineties when Ellen DeGeneres had her show and she came out as being gay. And the big thing was, is her character was coming out on the show to be gay. And it was a major milestone. And, and I remember the first time I ever saw Ellen and stand up. I thought it was the funniest woman I've ever seen in my life. Like her standup was fantastic. And it was about being human and being funny. And I remember when she was so upset when people backlash about like, you know, well, now they don't like my show. Cause you know, I'm gay. And I'm like, well, you, you're spending so much time talking about being gay and less about being funny. And people were tuning in the show to laugh. And then she, you know, the show gets canceled. She disappears. Then she comes back in her daytime show and she's funny and she's gay and funny is the primary thing. Right. And she becomes <laughs> the most successful person. Like America didn't hate her because she was gay. There wasn't like some secret thing to like, you know, I think sometimes when you make it a hard decision and it's so close to you, you forget, you become tone deaf to the masses. And I, I don't think we live in a society that is like out there trying to like, I don't want to support you know, someone who's gay or I don't want to support someone who's, you know, got a disability, but like, we don't know how to connect with it. If you get to spend three minutes and that's all it's talked about during the three minutes, you're like, Oh, okay. Well, I mean, people talk about it. Like you have someone who's religious. If the three minutes you spend with them, they're trying to convert you to their religion. You're going to be like, Oh, that wasn't as comfortable conversation. <laughs> and I think some of these, when they, when you just have those moments, that's what they feel like. And yeah. it ultimately does a disservice to everybody in, you know, gay straight you know disabled not because it it sets up like a us versus them as opposed to like a commonality of like oh we're all in this together we're all experiencing the same things yes you know 
you are different in this area than me, but like there's more about what's together. And I think this doesn't allow for that to happen, which makes it feel non-organic. And I think that's the biggest problem yeah. in enforcing this in a movie like this, where you only have a few minutes to establish such great, you know, changes. Yeah, I think that's very well said, as particularly the idea that it's just non-organic. It, it does feel manufactured and um i mean it has and to, like you say i mean it just it, ha- like if, yeah. if, if, if yeah. like if, you know even take away what you think about anything if i'm a writer and a director and i'm like hey i get one scene and i want to make sure that people understand this person's gay or this person's like disabled i only get to do a couple things like i can't stray very much so therefore even if it doesn't not in the flow i have to hit that note it's like a drummer who's like i got to be heard in this note wham and you're like well can we blend that in a little bit more? Like, no, you won't know that I'm back here. And so right. it, it, it doesn't blend in where if you have more time, you can be like, what is that instrument? It's really, and you're like, oh, it's this. And, I, and you, you get that subtle nuance and it draws you in and you get to bond with it. Again, I think that's the, 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 the structural flaw of this movie is we don't get to know any of the characters, have no time. It's all sandwiched together. And then they decide to throw these changes on top. And it's just a recipe for like, Am I having Italian or is this Indian or is this Mexican food? I, what's the spices we have? And you're like, all of them. We threw them all in. You're like, oh, well, maybe maybe we could have separated them into different dishes. That might have been tastier. I don't know. Yeah. So let's talk about Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and where they go from here. And what could they possibly have done different as opposed to making the Eternals? I'm fascinated because they have a bunch of projects coming out. Um, they had a bunch come out this year. You know, they had the Shang-Chi uh, come out, Black Widow and all that. And obviously, I think, the, and they're transitioning to TV as well with the Disney Plus shows. It does feel, and this is not surprising, that Marvel has sort of lost some steam. Um, how could it not, you know, after Endgame? I mean, that was this epic uh, peak that they had. But now it just sort of feels like they're wandering, looking for some sort of direction. And it seems like they're laying the groundwork with the TV shows for multiverses so that they can sort of go back in time and do things again and, and exploit those characters. But of course those actors are going to be moving on and things. So I'm, I'm genuinely curious to see where they go. It seems like the only part of the franchise that is really um, stable and has a very bright future is Spider-Man and they don't outright own Spider-Man. Uh, so Sony does. So they're sort of uh, splitting the bit with <laughs> Sony. And that's what I'm curious about because Robert Downey Jr. in many ways carried that franchise um, you know for over a decade. Now he's he's basically gone. I, I just I'm curious what you think is gonna come forth and, or what you think they should do moving forward. Well, I think uh, I'll, I'll put another caveat. I, Spider-Man is their brightest crown jewel right now. I, I think the second crown jewel is Thor and more aptly um, 
uh what's his face um hemsworth no uh the director um uh oh taika waititi yeah Yeah. like it sounds like thor 4 could be just tremendous and he's done enough other projects like jojo rabbit and these other things where he's clearly has talent and a unique voice and he fits kind of whatever narrative they want to put forward for the type of person they want behind the camera. And so I, I, I believe he's kind of, you know, like I said, Chloe can get there, but he's, he's done enough now where he gets the benefit of the doubt. So I'll be very curious. I, I could see them. I could see Chris and him continuing Thor for a while, but I feel like that's going to spin off into Tiki Watiti's vision and less about, you know, I feel like that's going to be the one kind of dangling chat out there of like, right. what is, how does this tie in? I don't know, but they're just fun and we make money off them. So just stop. I don't know enough about the rest of Marvel's properties and kind of where the, the demons lie. The number one and number two things I could stress more than anything is they desperately need to do a better job of casting and they desperately need to do a better job of finding directors like obviously i'd love it if they had great writing but i feel like marvel has had great writing and they have the canon of all the stuff to pull from but you know by no means was um um who directed iron man uh john favreau he was not some you know world-class director even tiki watiti had done enough but wasn't a world-class director you know the russo brothers same thing so you know, they had obviously Kenneth Branagh who delivered one of their worst <laughs> reviewed ones yeah. in Thor 2. So just going after a big name doesn't mean anything. They've done a good job of plucking, you know, lesser known directors and letting them grow into their own. But you really need to have actors with it factor that people want to see. And then some directors that can, you know, kind of pull together this giant universe they're trying to stitch together and still make it relatable and if they can't master those two then marvel pretty soon feige will be out of a job and disney's gonna come stamping with big clawed feet all over marvel and be like okay we're gonna fix this house and if when that happens oofdas uh welcome welcome to dc2 baby <laughs> so <laughs> It's, it's, it's Feige <laughs> keeping away the Disney uh, trampled feet, but they really can't, they cannot stray from what they did so well in casting and finding good directors. That is their number one and number two thing. If they can't master that, whatever else they do will fail miserably. You know, I, I agree with that. And in some ways, you're right. They, they got lucky um, with casting and with uh, the directors they chose. And even when they failed, when they stumbled, they were able to very quickly recover from those errors. Yes. So perfect example is Thor. So the, the errors that they went through with Thor brought them to Taika Waititi and Ragnarok, which, I mean, you could argue that's maybe the best movie in the MCU. It, it, it's, it's, it's a really incredible and enjoyable movie. Um, so you're right about that and any errors they had. So, so the Ed Norton Hulk movie um, was pretty abysmal and they just sort of pretended it never happened. And in fact, I think, I think on one podcast, we looked it up and they don't even list it as part of the MCU, which is pretty hysterical. Um, 
you know, and now they, they have your favorite actor playing Hulk, which is great for you. But, and they've never done another origin story with Hulk, which is pretty interesting, another solo project. Um, I think they understand that there is no story there for Hulk. Like, I don't think, yes. I don't think you can make a Hulk origin story that moves the needle, makes money, or adds anything to the universe. Like, you're better off just letting him pop in and out from time to time, but not, yeah. not make him the feature. You know, it's interesting because they're doing a She-Hulk. Um, yes. and, and so I understand that. But there are stories in the Hulk canon from the comics. Um, one is World War Hulk and the other one is maybe Planet Hulk. I can't remember the name of it. Um, pretty fascinating stories. And I could see them eventually going to that. Okay. Uh, you, you know, it would be sort of like, I think about Star Wars, there's some really interesting stories about Chewbacca's home planet, you know, like getting into the history of the Wookiees and all this sort of stuff, which like super fans would absolutely love. It's a tough movie to make because yeah. they're speaking Wookiee, but you know, um, but that idea of like uh, uh, World War Hulk and uh, Planet Hulk or whatever it is um, might be interesting to get into but what i think uh, like i said marvel's gotten lucky with casting with directing and they've been able to overcome any errors they've made but the problem now is that you're sort of this isn't really phase four i would call it phase two because you're done with yeah, this enormous yeah this this thing and you're moving on to lesser known and i just feel like when you're getting into gods and sort of getting off planet, it becomes more difficult to pull off. And I think eventually they may have some stumbles here in this next, you know, whatever, uh, this next quote unquote phase. The thing, the thing I think would be really smart for them to do, particularly if they want to get into this sort of um, cultural politics and, and all of that stuff, um, which again, I, I actually don't have a problem with that. Like if, if it's, if it's an, if it results in something interesting, but they own the X-Men. Yes. And the X-Men, uh, and the, the X-Men that were, were Fox owned them for, uh, the longest stretch and now Disney owns Fox and they got into that a little bit. I mean, it's the, the X-Men are basically a metaphor for sort of, you know, social outcasts and things like that but you could really really get into that in a big way and be super progressive with it but it would fit the story yeah and that's that's the thing and so when people get and i i i get a lot of pushback when i write about this stuff uh, but my that's my argument is like if it doesn't fit don't force it and like if you want to have a gay superhero the X-Men is the place to do it, right? Because there are gay superheroes in the X-Men. Um, so I would be really interested, and I think a smart move by them would be to reboot the X-Men. And they're not talking about doing that, which is really surprising to me. Another thing that they're sitting on, which has been tried a few times and failed, are the Fantastic Four, which both of those properties have enormous potential for them and yet they don't seem to be talking about it and they seem to be going in this different direction which 
with the Eternals, like I said, like the whole God thing and this less, as, as odd as this sounds for a superhero movie, this less grounded material, I just feel like that's, it's going to be just diminishing returns from here on in. And maybe that's a good thing. So maybe you go through a, a period of five or 10 years where the superhero thing is dying down and, and Marvel sort of comes back to earth. And then they say, hey, you know what? It's been long enough. Let's reboot the X-Men and let's reboot these other characters that haven't been to the forefront since. So we can do the Iron Man again or Hulk or, or uh, you know, Captain America, whatever. Um, that's what I think may happen. And as a fan of, of these comic books and these characters, I kind of hope that happens because the Eternals thing, like if they're going to make Eternals 2, I mean, who gives a crap? I mean, good Lord. I don't care about any of these characters. And here's one last thing I want to throw out there. So at it, it, they have, as Marvel does, they have an added scene. They actually have two added scenes at the end of this movie. Um, the first one involves, uh, oh, what's this kid's name? Uh, God, I'm losing my mind. Um, where is he? Here, okay, so. In, <laughs> the first, the credits roll, and I know I have to wait, and I want to get out of this theater so bad, but I have to wait for this stupid uh, post-credit oh, scene. Yeah, and the scene comes up, and it's, a bunch of the Eternals on a ship or whatever, and then somebody else shows up. And the somebody else who shows up is Harry Styles. Now, Harry Styles from One Direction, I think that's the name of his band. He's playing this character, Star Fox or Eros, whatever his name is. I'm going to tell you a Harry Styles story. I have no, I've never heard a One Direction song. I have no interest in One Direction. Like I'm, I've aged out of the boy band sort of demographic. But I was watching Sesame Street with my son. Okay. okay. And we were, you know, like they do this apparently where they'll do a song and One Direction is on. And I don't even know who One Direction is, but One Direction is on singing about, I think the, the letter W or something. <laughs> I don't even remember. And the band is with these Muppets and they're singing and I see them all together. And this guy is popping off the screen and if he's doing little things which as an acting coach i always pick up on these little things because i'm trying to get other actors to sort of understand how they look on camera what you know how can they can use their hands and this and that and harry styles is doing all this stuff and the camera is loves him he is jumping off the screen and i'm like who is that guy and so i look it up and it's harry styles and i'm like wow and the rest of one direction by the way nothing just just dead air with these cats but harry styles is like this is blasphemy but it's like mick jagger and, and i'm just like what's going on and then he comes out and like he was in um uh, dunkirk christopher yep. nolan's dunkirk and does a good job in that and i thought wow this kid's got something going on and then i see him in the end credits of eternals and I would consider myself, I don't, I've never heard a song of his, but I want him to succeed just because of that Sesame Street thing. I just was like, wow, I like this dude. He's awesome. I watched this final scene and it's just one scene and he is atrocious in it. It is so uncomfortable how bad he is 
in this minuscule scene where all he has to do, by the way, is show up and be Harry Styles. That's it. And he's awful. And I thought, oh no. <laughs> oh no. Harry Styles, the guy I was betting on to be this big star, is terrible and it's not going to happen. It's not happening for him. And that was really incredible. Now, maybe that's just a function of me being so bitter and cynical after two hours <laughs> and 45 minutes of watching The Eternal. But I was like, good Lord, this is, this is terrible. Harry Styles, what happened, buddy? My friend, where'd you go? He went through the so Disney, was- machine. Disney machine. <laughs> just chewed him up and spit him out. Terrible. And that, I didn't stick around. There's another credit scene at the end. Did you watch? I did, and I don't remember it. I left. I left. I, I didn't realize this. And then I read later there was a second one, and I was like, it was about the boyfriend. Yeah. About Cersei's boyfriend, something about him, and he's playing some character. And I'm like, I'm glad I didn't stick around for that. The, because the problem I, is, is they <laughs> like, I think you have to know when you see them, you're like, oh, who is this? And you got to go Google it. And it's like, it's become too much work now. Like yeah. in the first one, you'd be like, oh, that's Nick Fury. So they're going to add yeah. someone, or like, yep. you know, like, but now it's like, uh it's somehow related to something and i'll eventually figure it out but i don't care enough that's the problem again you just don't care enough and that's the danger for marvel is if people don't care enough it gonna be a quick ride to the bottom <laughs> but i i will say this is I, I i do think their ace in the hole is they can they have so much goodwill based off of what they've done they can throw out some of these lesser known riskier properties and if they don't work they now own the X-Men and they own Fantastic Four. Right, right. And they, yeah. they can pivot in a dime and people will go, oh, but I've been waiting for those. And then by the time those are done, guess what that means? Time to reboot all of our favorite characters. And yeah. Go over it yeah. again. <laughs> no, so, it's true. I mean, look, they paid $4 billion for Marvel. Yeah. And that's been paid back to them, you know, threefold at this yeah. point, um, at least. And you're, and you're right. I mean, they can roll the dice on some things. And so it'll be interesting. Like we said, they failed with the early Thor movies, with the Hulk movie. Um, you know, they, they can roll the dice on yeah. Eternals. And if it stinks, they just go, moving on. Okay. But it we does. Got it, other stuff. This is the first time that I feel like there's not the where they want to go and how they're doing it. I'm less certain than I ever have been, which could mm. be corrected. But right now, like if I was, if this was Wall Street, I'd be pulling my money out. <laughs> I would be oh, like, yeah. I don't know how this is going to go. I mean, I would pull out and then wait a few years and then get yeah. back in. And then, because then when, when, when it's low, buy low. Yeah, buy low. Sell go back high. High. It will yeah. with the X-Men and Fantastic Four. They do it. But I, I agree with you that it feels like, you know, Feige said, I should pull up the quote that, that he had um, regarding this movie because it's, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting um here it is so he said this is kevin feige's quote he said uh, the impact eternals will have on the mcu will be nothing less than redefining the cinematic universe entirely that sounds like speech that he doesn't believe because if he believes right. that woof does then this movie is way worse than i thought it was going to be and it's interesting because i think you're right it, it, it's the first time it feels like there's no blueprint there's no game plan it feels improvised that they're like hey we'll do this and i know they're working you know five ten years in the future but it feels like that's not written in stone like it was with the 
the end game Avengers yeah. uh, arc, which again is when you look back on that. And I think even, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, you look back on that and go, wow, that's impressive. It is that impressive. They pulled that off. That will always be. It's impressive. impressive. And you, you know, you think about star Wars, the other property they own how they floundered with that, yeah. you know, like that, that just feels so messed up you that's know, why when it, disney gets involved baby just worry, worry. <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah all right barry so we've been talking about eternals let's uh wrap it up any final thoughts on this movie i'm, I'm sure well, it's i just gonna make i hope that 10. everybody else felt like this podcast is two hours and 45 minutes of uh wanting to scratch their eyeballs out and if that's the case we accurately reflected what uh, watching the Eternals is all about. You just had the Eternals experience, yes. listeners. You're welcome. Good Lord. And well, we'll, sa- we'll save you an hour and 45 minutes, <laughs> but give you the same exact feeling as if you watched the movie. Yeah. And look, here's the truth that like, if you're a Marvel fan, you've probably seen it. But if you're just sort of a middle of the road, you sometimes enjoy these movies. Like, you just don't have to watch it. It's just, it's not a good movie and it's not like vital to understand the MCU going forward. Only if you want to redefine the cinematic universe, then you definitely (laughs) want to watch it. Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next time.